It is awesome to be standing here in this building, uh, looking out among all of you uh, faithful and wonderful uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, it's just an amazing thing uh, to be uh, in this building. And uh, from, from humble beginnings, right, uh, almost six years ago, it was just a few couples praying and Carl leading this uh, magnificent flock uh, as well as you have and uh, leading us to, to where we are today. Uh, I feel like I have gotten in on the, on the uh, upper level uh, of the building, uh, but you guys were all there when this thing was on the ground floor, and it's just an incredible uh, blessing to be part of this and to be uh, among you all, and, and I'm just so thankful. So uh, before we get into the message, I just want to go to the Lord in prayer. Lord God, we are just so thankful. We are blown away by your goodness and your generosity to us. And Lord, uh, we're going to dedicate and consecrate this building to you this morning, and uh, we pray that you are pleased uh, with the work of our hands, Lord, and that you will bless us uh, as we go forth uh, trying to do your work. Lord, we ask that the Holy Spirit would come and that the Holy Spirit would fill this building, Lord, fill our hearts and uh, open our ears to hear uh, the word that you have for us today. We just thank you, Lord, and we praise you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, of course, I've been thinking a lot about the significance of the building uh, this week and this new building and, and all that it means to us. And, and I've just been filled with joy, uh, as all of you have, uh, as, we, as we, especially yesterday, the frantic day, everybody putting everything together and, uh, you know, also fit together and there's panic and there's frantic activity uh, because today is the day. And uh, it's just so exciting to see all the work being done yesterday and now to see what it looks like today is is just fantastic. And, and so we're all filled with joy because this is a, an amazing achievement uh, and an amazing milestone in the life of Grace Redeemer, a community church. And, and I just thank God for the blessing uh, of this building and, and for the sacrifice that uh, uh, all of you have made uh, in, in uh, your time and your talent and your treasures uh, to, to get this building to the point uh, where it is today so that we can inhabit this building and so we can worship here. Uh, and so it's just a fantastic blessing. And, and from this building, we're going to do amazing things. From this building, we're going to reach out uh, to the lost people of Garland. And, and we're going to reach out to whoever God puts in front of us. We're, we're going to reach out to the lost and to the hungry and to the needy, uh, to the elderly, to the homeless, uh, to the lame, to the poor, to the drug addicted, the broken, the outcast, whoever God puts in our path, uh, we are going to minister to those people from this building. And, and so this building is just an incredible resource uh, that God has given to us uh, so that we might use it uh, to reach uh, people for him, to reach the lost for him. Uh, that's the goal that we want here. We're trying to expand his ministry. This is God's ministry. You know that, right? It's, it's God's ministry, and we're just trying to do our share uh, to do what God would have us to do while we're here. At the same time, I want us to recognize that this is a wonderful building, and yet a building is only wood, stone, and mortar, right? Uh, without the people who make up the building, uh, the building is just a building, uh, and we are the church, right? We comprise the church, and so uh, you could pick the grandest churches on earth, and I've picked a few here uh, for us uh, just to look at. Uh, this is Westminster Abbey in London, a magnificent church, but it's just a church building. This is St. Paul's Cathedral, also in London, an amazing building, but it's just a building. St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York City, St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, 
and Notre Dame in Paris, all these buildings, amazing buildings, incredible structures that have been built and have been up for many, many centuries uh, there uh, for people to come and worship the Lord because the, the building uh, is not the church. The people are the church. Uh, and so the church is just the body of believers that God has called from out of this world to love his people under the authority of Jesus Christ. And that's what the church is. This building is not the church. We are the church. And so as Paul described the church in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, here's what he said. He said, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole temple being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the spirit. And so you see how Paul puts it there. The, the, build, the, the, the church is the people. The church is a bunch of sinful people who have been forgiven by the Lord Jesus Christ and, and who have been uh, fitted together one by one as you come to know the Lord and you receive the Holy Spirit. He has a place for you in his church, in this growing spiritual organism uh, that is called the church. And so uh, as we sit in our new building for the first time, uh, I, I want to just praise God and I want to glorify God and I rejoice at his goodness and I rejoice at his generosity uh, for placing this building in our hands. But at the same time, I just don't want to make too much of a building itself because, uh, like I said, the building is nothing without its people committed to serving him and praying for fertile hearts so that when we go out into this community, uh, we will find people who are uh, eager to hear about the Lord and that they might come to saving faith. And, and so this building is, is just an incredible achievement for us. Uh, but what I want to say about it is that it's a finish line, but finish lines are only starting lines, right? This building is a finish line in the sense that uh, it has taken a tremendous amount of time, money, effort uh, of so many of us, all of us in this building to, to get this building where it needs to be uh, so that we can inhabit it today. But at the same time, it's also just a starting line because now we have the capacity and the resource to use this building to go out and reach the lost. And how are we going to do it? Our mission starts today as we inhabit this new building. And, and so finish lines are only starting lines. And you know, that's true of everything in life. Uh, when we're, when we're uh, conceived, we spend eight, nine, 10 months in our mother's wombs. And, and when we have uh, developed to the point that we are able uh, to live outside the womb, well, then we're born. And that's the end of our stage as a fetus, but it's the beginning of our lives as human beings. And, and as we move through our lives, we get to grammar school and we finish grammar school, eighth grade graduation, and, and that's a finish line. We're done with grammar school, but it's the starting line to high school. And high school is the same way. We're gonna finish high school and that's a great finish line. We're going to graduate from high school and then we'll move on either into the military or to the armed forces or to, some, uh, to college or a career, whatever it may be. Uh, it's a finish line, but it's a starting line of something else that's about to happen. Think about your wedding date. Your wedding date is the end of a process where everybody has an opinion and everybody wants to tell you what you ought to do. And uh, you have done that for six, eight months, 12 months, sometimes two years even. You're planning this process. And finally, 
the wedding day comes, and, and it's a finish line in a glorious sense that you finally have your bride next to you, and, and uh, uh, the minister says, uh, kiss your bride, and you say, I do, and that's a glorious, glorious finish line. Uh, but that's the end of your single life. It's the finish line of your single life, and now it's the starting line to the rest of your married life together. When we are saved, that is a finish line. It's the finish line of our time of rebellion against God and the Lord Jesus Christ and rejecting him. Uh, and it's the starting line, though, of our new life in him as we begin to walk in him and we cooperate with the Holy Spirit to become more and more like Jesus Christ through this process uh, that the Bible calls sanctification. And even our deaths are a finish line but they're a starting line at the same time. When we die, it's the end of our earthly life. We've reached the finish line. Uh, Paul said, I have run the race well. I have finished the course. He's finished. He knows his life is about to end, but he also knows that that's the starting line because he's going now to live with the Lord Jesus, to spend eternity with him, and to be uh, next to Jesus, uh, receiving the reward for the work that he has done. And and for unbelievers, that finish line is the scariest finish line that there is because they have no hope after that finish line. Uh, but for believers, that finish line is the greatest starting line that there is. We don't fear death because it's the starting line of our life eternal with him. And so uh, finish lines are starting lines. And I think God is very, very pleased with this building. And I think he wants us to rejoice in this building. And he wants us to rejoice in him uh, but I also think that he wants us to see this building as a starting line and not a finish line. And so uh, as we consecrate this building and dedicate this building to the Lord today, uh, I want to look at another dedication and consecration in the Bible, and that's of Solomon's temple. Way back in the 10th century BC, Solomon built this amazing temple to the Lord, and he consecrated it and dedicated it to the Lord. And I think that there are some lessons that we can learn in how Solomon dedicated this building to the Lord and, and what God had to say to Solomon after the dedication was done. So if you would, turn with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 6. Uh, we'll be returning to our study in Acts next week, but this is a special Sunday, and it requires a special dedication and consecration sermon, and so that's what we're doing. So uh, 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 6, if you will. We're going to see that, that God was very pleased, but he did not see this building as a finish line. He saw it as a starting line. I'm going to skip the first 11 verses uh, of uh, chapter 6 for the sake of time. But in those verses, uh, we have Solomon basically recounting the history of Israel. And, and he's, he's talking about how God has chosen this people Israel as his own. And he's chosen Jerusalem to be the holy city. And he's chosen David to be king over this holy uh, city and this holy people, Israel. Uh, and, and these verses recount how he, David had it in his mind uh, to build a temple for the Lord. But because David had shed so much blood, uh, God chose David's son Solomon to build this temple. And so it's Solomon who builds the temple. And he spends seven years building this temple to the Lord. And in uh, verses 12 to 18, Solomon dedicated this temple to the Lord. So I'm going to start reading from verse 12, and we'll go to verse 18. Then he stood... ...before the altar of the Lord in the presence of the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands... 
Now Solomon had made a bronze platform, five cubits long, five cubits wide, and three cubits high, and had set it in the midst of the court. And he stood on it and knelt on his knees in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven. He said, O Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth, keeping covenant and showing loving kindness to your servants who walk before you with all their heart, who has kept with your servant David, my father, that which you have promised him. Indeed, you have spoken with your mouth and have fulfilled it with your hand as it is this day. Now, therefore, O Lord, the God of Israel, keep with, keep with your servant David, my father, that which you have promised him, saying, You shall not lack a man to sit on the throne of Israel, if only your sons take heed to their way, to walk in my law as you have walked before me. Now, therefore, O Lord, the God of Israel, let your word be confirmed, which you have spoken to your servant David." But will God indeed dwell with mankind on earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house which I have built. Well, the temple that Solomon built was the most spectacular structure on all the earth. There was nothing else like it. Uh, and Solomon could have boasted in it, but instead he prays this great prayer of humility uh, about, the, about God, not about the temple. And so he gets down on his knees before all Israel. This is the king, remember, getting down on his knees before all Israel, and he worships God. He does not worship the building. And then Solomon asked God to always remember his covenant that he had made with his father David, to always keep a descendant of David on the throne of Israel. And then Solomon finished this prayer of dedication with this amazing uh, and very deep question, will God indeed indwell with, uh, dwell with mankind on the earth? And uh, I'm going to come back to that question, but we're going to continue through uh, Second Chronicles here. Uh, I'm going to skip verses 12, uh, I'm sorry, 19 to 39, but in those verses, uh, Solomon is praying that when the people of Israel stumble and fall and sin in many ways, uh, that God would not forsake them, that he would still remember uh, his covenant with David. And at the conclusion of the prayer, Solomon says in verses 40 uh, through 42, Now, O Lord, my God, I pray, let your eyes be open and your ears attentive to the prayer offered in this place. Now, therefore, arise, O Lord God, to your resting place, you in the ark of your might, let your priests, O Lord God, be clothed with salvation, and let your godly ones rejoice in what is good. O Lord God, do not turn away the face of your anointed. Remember your loving kindness to your servant David. So Solomon is about to invite God into the temple that he has built. Have you ever seen those fixer-upper shows? where you have uh, a, a contractor who invites the family to leave the house uh, for a couple months while he does these amazing things in the house, renovating the house, rehabilitating the house, and, and after the couple months' time is over, uh, then the contractor invites the family back into the house. And, and it's always fun to watch how uh, the contractor, whether his work will be approved and whether the family is excited about all these improvements and renovations that have been made. Well, imagine being Solomon, and you have to invite God into the house that you have built, and you're praying that God would be satisfied uh, with the work of your hands. And so 
it's not just the building itself, but Solomon's king over these people. And, and has, has he set a good enough example that, the, that he's been humble enough and that he's been worshipful enough that the people's attitude will follow his and that they will be rejoiceful uh, and worshipful and, and, and pray to God and have the proper attitude to God? Uh, and will, will uh, God remember and honor the prayer to keep a man of David's lineage on that throne uh, forever as God has promised. And, and so uh, here's Solomon praying this prayer and he's about to invite God back into the house and will God be satisfied? Well, we get the answer as we turn over to chapter seven and we read the first three verses of chapter seven. Now, when Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the house. The priests could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. All the sons of Israel, seeing the fire come down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, bowed down on the pavement with their faces to the ground. And they worshiped and gave praise to the Lord, saying, truly, he is good. Truly, his loving kindness is everlasting. You know, God never does anything halfway. Uh, God, you know, he can, he, can, he can make a big scene if he wants to. And so uh, to show his pleasure, he rains down fire uh, from, or, uh, from heaven and it consumes the burnt offering that had been laid there. And then his glory of the Lord fills the temple to the extent that the priests couldn't even enter because the, the glory of the Lord filled that temple uh, to the brim. And, and, and the people who saw this were awestruck and they get down on their knees first, and then they bow their faces to the ground, uh, worshiping, praising the Lord in reverence and in awe. And, and when you see a physical manifestation of God like this, there is only one thing that you can do, and the only thing you can do is to get down on your face humbly, worshiping God, praising him, and knowing that you're in his presence causes you to do only, the only thing you can do, and that's to get low uh, in, the, in the presence of a high uh, and mighty God. And so uh, that's what we see here. And, and, and we see that, that God was pleased with the temple and he was pleased with the hearts of the people and he had intended to uh, honor David's prayer. And so in verses four through 10, uh, Solomon reacting to what God does, uh, he's now gonna throw a great feast. God is pleased with great news. Now we shall rejoice and we shall have a feast. And so 22,000 oxen uh, slaughtered. 120,000 sheep slaughtered uh, to sacrifice. That is an incredible number uh, of animals that are being sacrificed uh, to the Lord. Uh, such is the uh, gratitude of the, of the people. They praise the Lord like we are doing today. Uh, and they consecrated the middle court of the temple even for the offerings because uh, the altar certainly was not big enough uh, for all of those uh, sacrifices that they were going to do. And so these people celebrated for nearly three weeks this feast went on for. And for three weeks they worshiped, they sacrificed, they praised, and they worshiped the Lord. And then Solomon sent the people back home happy because God had been faithful uh, to the covenant that he made with David, to Solomon, and to the people of Israel. So Solomon has God's approval. That's great news. Uh, how wonderful it is to know that God is pleased uh, with the work of your hands. But soon after the fast ended, God appeared to Solomon again, 
This is after the fast, after the, uh, the people, had, or I'm sorry, after the feast, after the people had gone home. And he gives him grave warnings. He was pleased with the temple, yes. And he was pleased with the attitudes of the people, and that was great. Uh, but people change. And the exuberance and the commitment and the discipline that we have initially uh, can often wane. It can often fade. Uh, think about your New Year's resolutions. Uh, we are three weeks into the new year, and many of you made New Year's resolutions, as, as I did, and I wonder, do we have the same commitment, the same discipline, uh, the same interest in our New Year's resolutions that we did just three weeks ago? Uh, if you decided you were going to read the Bible in a year, you may just at this point be coming up to the second half of Exodus. Uh, that's where it starts to get rough. And, and so how is your discipline, and how is your commitment? And, and once you get into Leviticus, it, it gets a little harder even. So uh, that, that's the kind of thing that we think about in terms of uh, exuberance and commitment waning. And so that's what God wants to warn these people about. Uh, it's easy to drift away from something that we may have been convicted of only a few short weeks ago. And so uh, in Revelation 2, uh, there was a problem in the church at Ephesus. And so he says this in um, uh, Ephesus, I'm sorry, in Revelation 2, verses 4 to 5. But I have this against you that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds that you did at first, or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. And then Jesus had similar words for the church at Laodicea in Revelation uh, chapter 3. He says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. And so, you know, it's human nature for us to become less enthusiastic and less committed as time goes on. And that's why uh, God gives these warnings. Uh, there is a law in the physical world that uh, some of you may be familiar with called the second law of thermodynamics. I don't know if any of you have heard of that law before, but what it says basically is that there is a natural tendency of, in any isolated system to degenerate into a more disordered state. In language that you and I can understand, that means that there is a, a tendency for order to turn into disorder, order to turn into chaos. Uh, and you can see this law at work whenever you look at your kitchen that you cleaned yesterday and today is a total disaster. Or if you look in your sock drawer, or if you look in your junk drawer, or if you look in your spice drawer, uh, disorder tends to come out of order and we have no idea how it happens, but uh, there you are, a couple days, a couple weeks later and you have disorder. And in the same way, uh, our, we can be the same way. Uh, enthusiasm can, can turn into lack of enthusiasm, and morality can turn into immorality, uh, and obedience can turn into disobedience. And, and that's because we're sinful people at heart. Uh, we want to do things our way, and sometimes our way is hostile to God's way. And that's why God gave Solomon these warnings in verses 12 to 22. So I'm going to read. Then he stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands. Now Solomon had made a bronze platform, five cubits long, five cubits wide, and three cubits high, and had set it in the midst of the court. And he stood on it and knelt on his knees in the... I'm sorry, I'm reading the wrong verses. I already read that. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon at night. This is chapter 7, verse 12. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. If I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, 
Or if I send pestilence among my people and my people who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer offered in this place. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. As for you, if you walk before me, as your father David walked, even to do according to all that I have commanded you, and will keep my statutes and my ordinances, then I will establish your royal throne, as I covenanted with your father David, saying, you shall not lack a man to be ruler in Israel. And now here come the warnings, verse 19. But if you turn away and forsake my statutes and my commandments, which I have set before you, and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will uproot you from my land, which I have given you, and this house, which I have consecrated for my name, I will cast out of my sight, and I will make it a proverb and a byword among all peoples. As for this house, which was exalted, everyone who passes by it will be astonished and say, why has the Lord done thus to this land and to this house? And they will say, because they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers who brought them from the land of Egypt, and they adopted other gods and worshiped them and served them. Therefore, he has brought all this adversity on them. Well, as we dedicate this building to the Lord today, I pray that we have the same attitude that these Israelites had when they were dedicating the temple to Solomon. And I pray that we always have it. May we come before the Lord today full of thanks, full of praise, full of enthusiasm and excitement, uh, humility, and, and in full recognition of who God is and who we are and his goodness to us and his generosity to us uh, in allowing us to have this building. But again, let's recognize that, that this building, though it's a finish line, it's also a starting line, just like the temple was. Uh, the completion of the temple was a finish line, but now... God is commanding the nation of Israel to walk in his ways. And that's a starting line because they weren't doing that. But we see what happens soon thereafter. It wasn't long after the temple was completed that Solomon took on hundreds of wives and concubines, and most of them were pagan. And Solomon drifted away from God into idolatry. Uh, and what happened after that was, was that Solomon died, and then the, the, the kingdom split. There was the northern kingdom, the ten tribes of Israel to the north, and the, the southern kingdom, the two tribes of Judah to the south. And they had wicked king after wicked king after wicked king, and they were at war with each other constantly uh, and fell deep into idolatry until God said, enough is enough, it's time for me to judge you. And in 722, he exiled Assyria, the 10 tribes of Israel, to the north. He exiled them to Assyria. And in uh, 586, he exiled the two tribes of Judah uh, off to Babylon. And God even allowed the Babylonians to burn that magnificent temple to the ground because of their idolatry. And so it's an amazing thing to think that, that God would allow that building to be burnt down. But if the hearts of his people weren't right, then he certainly didn't care uh, about a gorgeous building. Uh, the temple was impressive by man's standards because it was the finest materials on all earth. And then it was overlaid with gold to, to any man's eyes. This thing is fantastic. It's spectacular. But to God, how impressed do you think God was with this building when he provided all the materials for it and he drew up the blueprints for it and all Solomon had to do was go in there and build it the way God said? 
the, the, the temple itself was only 90 feet long by 30 feet wide and 45 feet high. By contrast, this building is about 60 feet long, 30 feet wide, just this room that we're in, 60 by 30 and maybe 25 feet high. Uh, so the temple that, that Israel had, that, that Solomon built, was a little bigger than this, but, but not that much bigger than this. It just wasn't that big. And, and that's why Solomon is asking this question that I'm going to go back to. Uh, he says, uh, he, he thinks about the temple, he thinks about God, and he says, will God indeed dwell with mankind on earth? And the most staggering thing uh, to, to us is that the, the answer to that question is yes, uh, but not in a way that Solomon ever could have imagined, because uh, certainly he, he could not have foreseen uh, the coming of Jesus Christ that God had planned from the creation of the world. And, and in John 1.14, it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And, and we looked at that verse on Christmas Eve, but it's so profound uh, that it doesn't hurt to look at it every now and then. I think we could look at it every Sunday and never fully exhaust uh, all that it means. So Solomon's asking this legitimate question. He's like, you know, God, I've built this most incredible, most magnificent building on earth. But what is that compared to an infinite and holy God? And of course, He's right. Uh, he could never have imagined that God could actually uh, dwell on earth by taking on a human body, subject to the same limitations and frailties uh, that you and I are subject to. Jesus came in the form of a man. John 1.18 says that he came so that he could explain God to us. And isn't that staggering that he came as a man so that we could see what God looks like. And, and Jesus lived a perfect life, a life that we could not live and died a death that we deserve to die uh, so that when we believe in him uh, as our savior, we take on his righteousness and he takes on all of our sin. Uh, and that's called the great exchange. It's the greatest offer you'll ever get. And so will God indeed dwell with man on earth? Yes. He will in the form of Jesus Christ, and that's what he did. But wait, there's more. When you believe in Jesus Christ, you get the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and he lives within you as the gracious gift of God, the third member of the Trinity living inside you. And so will God indeed dwell on earth? Yes, he will. He will dwell on earth inside each of us, even today as we sit here uh, gathered in this new building. And so uh, he doesn't necessarily dwell in buildings, uh, but the, the Bible says that where two or three of, are gathered in his name, he is there among us. And so here he is, Jesus among us. And I bet that he is looking down among us with a smile on his face, just ear to ear, uh, just thrilled with what we have done, filled, uh, thrilled with the faith of his people uh, to be here and to make this day a reality. Uh, I can't wait to see what God is going to do through this building as we reach out to the lost and the hurting people of Garland. Uh, but with that, I also want to bring a caution, a few words of caution as we see how God spoke to Solomon. We have to think about these things. And so one thing I want to be sure that we don't do is let's not make this building into an idol. This building is awesome, and it is so awesome to have this building, but uh, we don't want to love these interior walls so much that we don't go beyond these ex uh, interior walls, outside of these walls, to reach the people that God has given us this building to reach. So 
God, as we saw with the temple uh, in Israel, he's not that impressed with buildings, and he's not that pleased with buildings. What impresses God and what pleases God is is hearts who are are tender for the lost and who want to go out and do good work in the community and, and help save those people who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. And And he wants people who are willing to order their lives so that God is first priority. Uh, And he wants people who are willing to live obediently to him. See, the Israelites had the greatest structure ever made, but when the people's hearts weren't right, God was not worried about having that thing burnt down. And he burnt it to the ground because their hearts weren't right. Second thing I would like to say is that we need to remember to guard our doctrine. Uh, The second law of thermodynamics that I talked about a little while ago, we can apply that to doctrine as well. Uh, Our doctrine can deteriorate over time if we are not uh, vigilant in guarding it. Uh, I don't know if many of you know that Princeton Seminary used to be the preeminent seminary in the entire country in the late 1800s and into the 1920s or so, boasting luminaries like A.A. Hodge and Charles Hodge and B.B. Warfield and some of the great theologians of the early 20th century. Uh, But now, 100 years later, Uh, It is the furthest thing from a conservative, theologically sound seminary that you can find. Uh, You know that I'm from New Jersey, and when I was looking to go to seminary, I looked at Princeton Seminary, and I was uh, rather astounded to see uh, that they have no doctrinal statement even on their website. You can't even find what they believe. Uh, And and so it's just become so liberal that that you wouldn't even recognize it as a bastion of conservatism that it was uh, 100 years ago. And that can happen when you don't guard your doctrine. And so we have to pay attention uh, to guard our doctrine. Uh, I think what happened to Princeton Seminary makes God sad. And and I want that never to happen to this church. We will always guard our doctrine here. And finally, let's not treat the completion of this building as a finish line. The completion of this building is a starting line. The work is just beginning now, right? We think we worked hard for the past six months getting this building ready to go. We did, but we're going to work harder to go out now and reach the lost. Uh, I know that you're as excited as I am to see what God is going to do next here. So I just want us to muster all the enthusiasm and all the energy that we have to go out and fulfill the Great Commission. Let's go out from here uh, looking to baptize uh, new disciples and and teaching them to obey all that God commanded. and, And Jesus promises that he will be with us until the end of the age. And so now as I close, we're going to dedicate this building to the Lord and we're going to consecrate this building to him. And to consecrate uh, something means to set something apart for a specific purpose. And we're going to do that now. When Solomon dedicated the building to the Lord, he got down on his knees and all the people got down on their faces and they prayed and they worshiped the Lord. And so I'd like us to do the same if we can. If, if you're able to, and if you have room in your, between your seats there, I would like us all to get down on our knees and let's worship the Lord and let's pray that he would bless our efforts to reach the Lord for Christ, or to reach the lost for Christ. Okay. <clears throat> Lord God, we love you and we praise your holy name and we know that all good gifts come from you. And Lord, that this building that we now possess comes from you. We believe that you intend to do mighty things through us, through this building, and we wholly submit to your will, Lord, and we pledge 
to do your will. And we pledge to do our best to fulfill the great commission through this building that you have been so gracious to give us, Lord. We pray that you will help us to reach the lost. We pray that even now that you are uh, making hearts fertile, that we can get in front of those people and that they will be ripe to hear the gospel and to respond, Lord. We pray that we would always remain a unified body, that we not be divided in any way, that we would love each other the way Christ loved us and that we would serve each other the way that Christ served us. And Lord, that you would grow this body with people who love you and who want to become more Christ-like, Lord, as we think about uh, going forward and reaching the lost for you. Lord, at the same time, we don't want to be concerned about the numbers of people who come in these doors. What we want to be concerned about is the transformation of the people who do come. Let us be transformed, Lord. Let your Holy Spirit transform us. Uh, and make us more Christ-like every day. And we pray that we would become more so as a result of the ministries uh, that we will host from this building. Lord God, we want our work to have eternal significance. And Lord, we want to impact the world for Christ. And so Lord, today we dedicate this building to you and we consecrate this building to your service, Lord. And we consecrate ourselves to your service, Lord. Lord, we know that Satan hates what is going on in this building. And Lord, that, that we now have bullseyes on our chests as he is going to be looking to do whatever he can to disrupt your work here. And Lord, we just pray that, that you would uh, guard us, that you would protect us, and that you would allow us to complete the work that you have given us to do, Lord. And Lord, even as we have been worshiping this morning, we have heard an amber alert go off a couple of times. And Lord, that means... Uh, that there's some child in danger. And Lord, we, we ask that you would protect that child, uh, whoever that may be, Lord. And, and Lord, just as we're standing here and, and, or kneeling here before you, uh, this is a world that is lost and is broken and needs uh, people who will carry the message of Christ out to the, this world that is lost and hurting. And Lord, we pray that you would allow us to be your instruments uh, to do this, and that this building would be a resource that is here for a very long time, and that this place will be known as a place where God is honored, revered, worshipped, praised, and the Bible is taught uh, as the inerrant, infallible Word of God, Lord, and may it always be so. We thank you, Lord, and we praise you for all of you that you have done for us. In Jesus' holy and matchless name we pray it. Amen.